0: Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer podcast.
1: Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways. I do some other stuff. But most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and post it on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just Join at the $10 and up level. Stay tuned for that post and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Yo, thanks for having me, Finn. Appreciate you.
1: I see you're drinking delicious Fiji water. Fiji water is objectively the best brand of bottled water, although it also makes me sick and angry agree that we ship water across the fucking planet but it does taste the best
0: it's a little weird i mean i'll I'll agree on the taste am i a bit of a fraud if i'm just reusing the bottle and i'm using nashville tap water
1: (laughs) we'll edit this part out i I don't want you to embarrass yourself (laughs) because the answer is yes you are a fraud
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah freaking um i mean I happened to pick it up at the gas station because it was the only one that was available. I'm not super particular about the uh, the gas station water I buy. <laughs> You're just catching me on an extra bougie day.
1: All right. For anybody who's not familiar, how would you describe your channel?
0: My five-second elevator pitch is I bitch a lot about music and I play it every once in a while. Okay. Um, I guess the way I'd, I'd elaborate more, um, I make YouTube critical content for music, whether that's a reaction or whether that's diving into um, a personality or a band that's been up to something lately, or just re- reviewing music in general. I don't know. I like to think I at least have somewhat of a unique perspective. I'm generally more ornery and try to be a lot like more hypercritical than a lot of other people that review stuff but
1: well, you, you have a dream theater poster on your wall there. So I think that yeah. tells people a little bit about where you're
0: coming from, as far as your background and kind of taste for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, um, geez, I was 19 or 20 when I got introduced to dream theater and actually initially really hated them a lot, <laughs> but they eventually grew on me the more that, uh, I dove further into my, my music education in college. Um, I, <sighs> I have a really interesting relationship with progressive metal because I've loved it for a long time, but I find that the further I dive into it, the less impressed I become with it.
1: Tell me about that.
0: So one of the critiques that our our first album that my band dropped got was that, oh, it's just a dream theater clone, which I don't think is a very accurate critique, but I mean, hey, power to them. But the more I've been diving into a lot of the progressive metal stuff that's been going around, it's either all gent, which is quickly wearing on me, or it is very much in the Dream Theater clone house of stuff. And again, love Dream Theater. I, I will sing their praises for days. i also critique them as well. But I mean, I don't know. We, we even had this um, kind of video... Um, you you had your uh, your critique of progressive metal, I had my response video, and I, th- I feel like I did dive into that somewhat. It, it's an oxymoron trying to throw the word progressive on something that is just chasing one very specific, right. not accessible sound.
1: <laughs> Which is sort of, you know, chasing a particular sound, whether that sound is good or not, is kind of the antithesis of progressive, in my opinion. Doesn't matter what that sound is.
0: Totally, totally, yeah. I think part of even why Pink Floyd gets lumped into the progressive thing kind of tangentially is because their innovations in production certainly really wasn't their songwriting. The songwriting is really basic. If you strip away all of the uh, the trappings, it's it's really simple chords, simple melodies.
1: I have never listened to an entire Pink Floyd song in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: why if you don't mind me asking why i'm curious
1: i you know i've said this before but you know i kind of uh got into metal from like suicidal tendencies and dri and sepultura and so anything any kind of basically any music be popular music before that just sounds stupid to me (laughs) there are exceptions but like broadly speaking if it's like rock i'm like this just sounds dumb to me compared to sepultura you know
0: I have the same thing with Jimi Hendrix, and I try I do my best to contextualize that he's like the origin of all of the guitar godhood that that came afterwards. But even still, I'm just like, you guys know he was just making noise about 20 percent of the time, right? <laughs> like, like he's literally just hitting shit,
1: which is cool. Which was actually innovative at the time, but it yes. doesn't mean I necessarily want to listen to it now.
0: Yes. I mean, I'll even give him some props for using uh pretty out of the box chords especially from his blues roots, you know that that stuff's pretty cool, but again, like I just don't I don't when when I started at Steve Vai and Joe Satriani, taking that trip backwards is just not as exciting. So, yeah, right. like I, I totally get what you're what you're referring to.
1: Well, you know what I wish I would have said in the video that I made about progressive metal. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Somebody said it in the comments, uh, you know, it happens all the time where they they like more succinctly deliver my premise. You know, I'm like, God damn it. I, I wish I would have said that. That progressive has become a synonym for technical in metal.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Which I think is really the argument I was trying to
0: make. And I would say for 90% or maybe even more percent of cases, I fully agree. I fully fucking agree. The only place like, I can think of offhand where it's not necessarily the case is like Gojira. But is Gojira even like full on progressive?
1: I don't think they're especially progressive. I mean, I think they're a cool band and everything, you know, and they're great players. But there's not a lot of, to me, there isn't really a lot there that's progressive.
0: Yeah, it sits on a line for me because there's like areas where they kind of like touch into the Tool thing. Right. But it's not it's not that pronounced, you know.
1: Is it progressive to sound like Tool 10, 15, 20 years after Tool? That's sort of my point.
0: If you put a twist on it. Maybe. But yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. But yeah, freaking as, as far as a synonym for technical. Yeah, I, it's that's extremely irritating.
1: Which, by the way, is fine if you want to play technical metal. Like I don't like that's not a bad thing. Yeah. I just don't think it's progressive.
0: Uh, I, I think it can be, but yeah, I don't yeah. think it's ne- necessary. Yeah. OK. It's not necessarily the case. I, I totally agree with that.
1: Not inherently progressive to play technical
0: music. So one one dude who I think is a great example of the opposite of this is, you know, you familiar with any of Stephen Wilson's stuff?
1: The porcupine tree guy? Yeah. At a very basic level. I've heard it, but I, I don't know much about it.
0: OK, porcupine tree touches on metal now and then, but I guess you'd lump them more in progressive rock. But their, their stuff is not especially technical. It's about making moods and, you know, it draws a lot from classic prog, but I, in my opinion, I'd say they established their own unique voice for that time period. And I think I think that could qualify. But I mean, again, that's, you know, e- even the guys that Steven Wilson influenced are still playing the same fucking dad, dad prog shit that is just so cringe inducing.
1: Is it like, yes,
0: type stuff? Ah, that's that. There's hints of yes, hints of Genesis and then some Pink Floyd in there.
1: So and dad then, prog. Yeah, I get it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, it, it, it feels more modern compared to all of those influences for sure. Like it's not it's not like listening to like a Neil Morse project thing. I don't know how, how familiar you are with any of that, but it's not totally dorky. <laughs> it's, very, <laughs> okay. it's very depressed, but it's not dorky.
1: Mostly dorky, but not terribly dorky.
0: Yes, <laughs> there's a little, little little dorkitude in there.
1: Got it. The progressive stuff that I like is more like from the fusion side of things than the rock side of things.
0: Like uh, which which specifically?
1: Chick Corea or I really like the Jack DeJunet solo stuff, like that kind of thing.
0: Fuck yeah. Oh, that stuff's a lot of fun. Yeah. Or Cecil Taylor. What, what do you specifically like about that over the other prog stuff?
1: You know, I really can't say... It's true for like also progressive metal. Like I do not like any of the progressive metal that just sounds like metal, like necrophages, for example. I don't like it. Oh, OK. I mean, certainly I recognize that it's good, but I love cynic and some of the faceless stuff, the stuff that has a little bit, I you know, I just don't know enough. My musical vocabulary from like a theory perspective isn't good enough to tell you like if there are specific modes or scales or something like that that sound good to my ear um, that they use uh, that, that, that the more straightforward metal stuff doesn't. I don't know. But anything that sort of is borrowing from jazz tends to sound better to me than stuff that doesn't.
0: Hell yeah. Okay. that That is one thing where, like, the early prog dudes injected some of that but didn't go too heavy. Like, they they used <clears throat> some of the... Chords and, and a little bit of the theory, but it, I don't know. It didn't have like the juice and the sexiness. That's, that's one of the things where I feel like Prague fails so often. Not nearly enough sexy. Yeah, you know, the the da- the danger comes from like, oh, like, how is he gonna mess up a note? And even if he did, how the fuck are you gonna know?
1: <laughs> right, I messed it up on purpose.
0: <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's progressive. I would say
1: like one specific <laughs> thing I can point out is uh, the rhythm section. You know, like uh, the uh, bassists, you know, like Sean Malone from Cynic and like Steve DiGiorgio, for example, both have that kind of like more smooth legato type of phrasing and just sort of more of a draw for more of a jazz type, a Jocko type sound uh, and okay. the drummers as well. You know, so the the rhythm section to me is a big difference.
0: That, that, that actually makes a lot of sense, especially if you're talking like More, more jazz infused instead of hard rock, yes, based type of shit. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I I totally understand that. I I started with Metallica, so I mean my my drum and bass frame of reference was very limited.
1: (laughs) So you mean drum? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. My mom actually um, was into a lot of that stuff like Gentle Giant and stuff like that when I was a kid. So like, oh,
0: wow, really?
1: Gentle Giant and Chick Korea. like I was listening to that stuff and I was like four. So I, I guess it stuck with me.
0: Hell yeah. Hell, yeah. I've, I've tried Gentle Giant. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't listen to it now, necessarily. But I, you know, I I can appreciate. I mean, it was cool. What that was like the '60s, you yes. know. So that was like really my and Return to Forever. I still like Return to Forever.
0: They they were definitely a- ahead of the time. And I mean, if you're really into the the English folklore type of thing, it fits that aesthetic super well.
1: Yeah, I remember they had some album with like a knight on the cover or something that I thought was really cool, like a guy on a horse or something like that. My mom used to call him Genital Giant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You said with a knight on the on the cover?
1: I think so, yeah. That's what I remember. But you know, again, this is like many decades ago. So I, I could be mistaken.
0: Is that the power and the glory? Uh let me look. It's got like the King of Spades on it.
1: Yes, that's the one. Word. Yep. I remember that one. So that brings me to another question that I wanted to ask. We can fight about this. This will be entertaining for everyone. <laughs> You are primarily a guitar guy. You know, you got a couple of guitars behind you. You do a lot of guitar content. Uh, I believe you play guitar in your band, right? Yes. It is my opinion, personally, that guitar is dramatically overemphasized in modern rock by both the songwriters and the fans, meaning that I feel like uh, for a lot of people that I talk to and my comments and stuff, I feel like the only thing that they really listen to is the guitars, most songs like are written starting on guitar and that's neither of those things are necessarily like bad or wrong, but I think it really kind of limits the creative boundaries in a lot of cases. And I'd be curious to know what you think about that.
0: Pretty sure. I agree. And when you, when you made your video on your prog stuff and the whole like uh pooling trays, uh phrase of riff salad, which is <laughs> riffs
1: are not a song. Yeah.
0: Yes. But beautiful observation i would say yes like big part of my own experience of course but then also seeing you know without realizing it until it's highlighted in front of you just how many people actually start the songwriting process there yes it it makes me wonder is that inherent to the rock and metal uh genre you know because i mean Almost every single time, I, I can I can hardly think of a circumstance you're gonna have a guitar. You can maybe get away with no bass. Um, you're gonna have a drummer, but you're not gonna be able to write a chord progression on a drum kit.
1: Well, you could write it on a piano, and you probably might try that because I don't know that much about theory. But my friend uh, and business partner Al Levy, I did a songwriting course with him. Uh, my old company, Creative Live where i learned a lot i mean anything that i know about theory which is not much i learned from him for anybody who doesn't know his dad is like a really well-known symphony conductor and shit so he and he went to berkeley and stuff so he knows literally grew up on this shit and um he sort of taught me a lot of these basics and uh suggested that i try writing a melody on piano like keyboard and i did and i was like so like incredibly eye-opening to me that i was like oh The Western scale like was totally not designed for guitar and it's stupid and it's just like adapting it to guitar is actually kind of awkward and a pain in the ass and everything makes so much more sense (laughs) on piano. Absolutely. Like figuring out where the third or the fifth is or whatever can be kind of, you know, you got to memorize it shit on guitar and it's so obvious on piano.
0: A perfect example to me is the most obscure reference that no one's going to know, but anyone here look up uh celestial troop by motui sakuraba i was shown that when i was in high school it's from a very obscure japanese role-playing game like back in the day which game valkyrie profile 2
1: Oh, okay i remember that one yeah
0: oh word okay it was f- specifically for like a bonus boss you only hear it like once which is a crime because it's a killer song but it's got this delicious neoclassical run in um freaking um harmonic minor. And when you play it on guitar, there's parts that flow great and there's other parts that are super awkward. And then, you know, I I took this to college with me and like used it as an excuse for like certain courses to be like, "Oh, can I can I learn this on piano cuz it's a requirement to learn piano?" I was like, "This lays out so easy." Exactly. Effortlessly. And it, but but even on the guitar, it sounds gorgeous. So, it, in that regard specifically, I always say to, I shouldn't say always, I don't bring it up that often, but I regularly try to tell my students or anyone watching me, you should learn phrases from other instruments that you love and and melodies that you fall in love with that aren't on guitar and adapt to that. It helps broaden your range of expression so far. I think the biggest illustrator of that to me is Steve Vai. He's a, a king to me.
1: Beyond that, I mean, there's like the question of chord progressions, but that actually brings up the the other point, which is I feel like in metal, people really disregard vocals. Yeah. And uh, and that's, again, that's not a bad thing. You know, your ear likes what it likes and like nobody's obligated to do things that they don't like. But I find it interesting. So like, I did a podcast the other day with uh, Al, uh, John Brown from Monuments and Nick Nocturnal. And I asked all of them, have you ever tried writing a song? And these are all very good musicians like who know their shit. Have you ever tried writing a song from a vocal melody first? And all three of them were like, nope, never once.
0: (laughs) Almost never happens.
1: Which which is I mean, in pop, like it happens all the time. You you absolutely have to. Pretty much because in pop, it's the opposite. Everything else is there to support the vocal, whereas in metal, everything else is kind of there to support the guitars.
0: Yeah, that's one way of, of viewing it for sure. On our last release, Betrayal, one of the things I've been trying to focus on is specifically what you're talking about, trying to come up with a vocal hook that just like buries into your fucking brain permanently first, but it never meticulizes in my brain without there at least being some backing instrumentation. That's just that's just how my brain operates now. I I don't know that I've ever come up with just like a great. Oh, no, I actually have, but it's not for metal. So that's the problem there. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I've come up with some melodies where it's like this great melody, but it's just not going to be a, a metal song. But yeah, I think that actually bears out in the final product of our song was it? it is a lot more vocal focused, even with some more interesting instrumentation around it. It does make a massive difference trying to focus on vocal melody, vocal melody, vocal melody and allow the instruments to undergird that and, and accent parts that you want to focus on. You know, that that, that does make a huge difference. But yeah, I mean, to, I do agree with you that it is largely guitar focused, and I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it certainly limits accessibility.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's, it's not inherently bad because, you know, ultimately if you enjoy the music that you're making and the audience enjoys it, you know, that's, that's what matters. But I do think that from the perspective of a musician, there's probably some interesting growth that could happen if people would challenge themselves to step outside that comfort zone. If you care about your music being popular, then certainly thinking about vocals more will almost definitely help you. A lot of people don't, and that's fine. But at the very least, I think people would just learn a lot if they challenge themselves to do things differently. Like you said, writing on piano or thinking about vocals instead of just like, the basis of a guitar, like to, in metal, it's like the atomic unit of a song is the riff, and and that's <laughs> not love, wrong. I that but I just think too. there's there's it's just so a fun. lot of you know creative growth that could happen if people would just try something different.
0: Yeah, I I, I fully agree with that statement. I think it's a beautiful observation, and I think it very tightly f- um ties back to our progressive discussion earlier. What progress is? is when we actually move forward together. You know, if people actually adopt what you're trying to sell them, you know, like some some dude out here in experimental land taking the least interesting portion of Jimi Hendrix, which is making random noises on a guitar and trying to sell that as progressive is, isn't solving anyone's problems, musically speaking. It's not solving a demand. And trying to use those tools that you're talking about of different songwriting approaches while using similar phrasing, similar timbres, I feel like is an interesting way to try and at least get out to a a new group of people and take them along with you. I think that's, that's great. I, I think it is equally as important to be, you know, I'm, I'm the artist and I'm having an honest expression as it is to trying to be like, Hey, this is for other people. If you're truly doing this from a place of selflessness, you have to give them something they understand. Right. Or at least are able are able to have an aha moment with, you know? Does that make, does that make sense?
1: It totally makes sense. And just to be clear, I don't think anybody is obligated to make their music accessible by any means. And like, I don't even think that you should. Like, if you don't care about that, I'm not here to tell you that you should. You know, your creative goals are for you to decide, not for me. But for people who are interested in being progressive, I mean, one of the things that made progressive music what it is is they questioned a lot of the assumptions about like pop song structures and whatnot. And they're like, Oh, what if it's not verse, chorus, verse? What if it's just riff, 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 and we play one of them for eight minutes just because we can? <laughs> and 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 I actually think that was genuinely innovative. Yes, like because it was, because nobody you know questioning these assumptions to me, is like the essence of being progressive. And so maybe one of the questions that you should... One of the assumptions you should question is that the atomic unit is the riff.
0: Yeah, I I definitely agree with that.
1: Just for your own sake as an artist.
0: Fucking... Now that you've been bringing it up and we were talking about, you know, how do you write a a chord progression on a drum? The song... Uh, Blue Monday by Orgy. Are you familiar? Yeah, drum hook. Yeah, the, just a snare. That That's a hook. It is, absolutely. It's really simple. and It's an important one. It builds anticipation.
1: Absolutely, it's a great one. I'm sure there's, a, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are. If we could think, you know, if we tried, we could think of more. Absolutely. So again, could just challenge yourself to do that. Uh, as part of that songwriting course that Ale and I did, one part we had uh, Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter in as a guest who's actually a really good songwriter and uh he talked about how the way that he starts a lot of songs is to take some specific either melody or rhythm pattern from a lot of pop songs and turn it into metal so i forget what demon hunter song it is but he took a neo like vocal pattern and turned that into a demon hunter song and when he explains how he got there you can hear it but playing the two next to each other you would never Guess it. Interesting. I think there's just a lot to be said there, just about questioning. And I think a lot of people were surprised by that because you know, I think one of my frustrations with metal people is that they're so like genre focused, is that they think that there's no way they could possibly take something from a non-metal genre and end up, you know, turning that into interesting metal.
0: I'd add on to that. They'd also think it's selling out, potentially selling out.
1: Possibly. It's only selling out if you were doing it with the specific intent of doing something that you don't actually enjoy for the sake of commercial success. Yeah. If what you're doing at the the end of the day, if the goal, I think for most metal musicians, they don't give a shit about commercial success, really, or maybe they do a little bit, but not really. At the end of the day, I think for most metal people, the goal is for them to create music that they personally feel like creatively satisfied with. It's like chasing the dragon of like coming up with that killer riff or that killer breakdown or whatever. I think that's primarily the motivation for them. And so my point is, I think that you will find that creative satisfaction by breaking out of a lot of these boundaries. Because if you're trying to write a killer death metal song, but all you're listening to is Cannibal Corpse and Dying Fetus, you're probably not going to come up with something especially interesting because you're sort of coloring in some very, very tight
0: lines. Jumping off of your statement, one of the things that I have found, and even in my early writing, most metal dudes think about the guitar and the riff as a more percussive instrument, and they don't even realize it.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: It's a chordal instrument. It's a melody-driven instrument. Some of the best riffs are just really simple or just really gnarly melodies. And thinking about it that way, I think it is far more interesting and will connect with a lot more people. Um, not not that you can't use it as a percussive instrument, but just don't make that like everything that gets so boring. <laughs> so boring.
1: It's kind of interesting. I had the same observation a while ago with especially a lot of like, you know, deathcore type stuff. Like there's parts of Amir songs, for example, where the entire band is a percussion instrument. There's it's it's essentially atonal music because there's no vocal melody. There isn't really melody in the riffs because they're just playing chug.
0: What's the name of the artist? Amir. Amir. I feel like I've heard them.
1: You might know the song I always make fun of Drug Dealer Friend where the first uh line is I want to watch you suck his dick. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, a lot of the deathcore type stuff. And I love Amir, just to be clear. I mean, and Josh Travis is an insanely ridiculous guitarist, but I think it's very interesting that There's no melody in a lot of modern metal, because as you said, essentially everything is turned into a percussion instrument. Like the vocals are really just like textural noise because there's no metal in a lot of them. So really what you're trying to do is like innovate purely on rhythm because there is no melody in some cases.
0: And on top of that, when your genre is focused on emphatic large hits
1: right no dynamics
0: yeah you're, you're limiting your dynamics but you're also limiting your your rhythmic creativity right which is which is like, eh. <laughs> like
1: and none of that is bad i just feel like a lot of people a lot of metal musicians in particular kind of paint themselves into a corner by drawing these like extremely tight creative boundaries which can be cool if you're doing it deliberately but i think a lot of people do it without realizing that they have painted themselves into a corner
0: totally i have a feeling the source of that problem is like what, what's the absolute root of what metal is? What's like the, 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 the foundational thing? And it's 10. Yes. Always at 10. Yes. You know, and, and we're finding new tens new every day, at least we're trying to. But when you're constantly chasing that, you're chasing one very specific uh, mode of emotional expression that you can, you can go into different like intricacies of it, but at the end of the day, it's mostly just going to be brutality. It's just yeah. all brutality. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm more complicated than that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like I'm, not, I'm not a caveman just clubbing shit. It can be fun. Sure, I love that stuff. But don't then complain. They're like, oh, nobody, nobody gets uh, this, all this fake shit around here. Nobody understands my art. I think, I think they probably get it. They just don't like it. You know?
1: <laughs> yes. And that's a tough thing for a lot of people to admit is yeah, no, we get it. We just don't like it. <laughs> it's, it's a tough thing to hear.
0: One hit thunder is a podcast
1: where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one hit thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week, so pass the Dutchie, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash ThePunkRockMBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And also, I want to thank Rockabilia for sponsoring this episode. If you're into merch and if you're listening to this, then I know you probably are, then you definitely need to check out Rockabilia because they have more band merch than anybody else on the planet. Over 500,000 items. Rockabilia has everything from the usual stuff like hoodies, t-shirts and tank tops to other stuff, accessories like belts, watches, footwear, all kinds of stuff for both men and women, which is pretty cool because my wife is always complaining about how hard it is to find good merch. They even have a children's section and they have a home decor section. So if you want to get an Opeth pint glass or a Dark Throne skateboard, they have got you covered. Rockabilia also has a lot of really cool posters and flags which as a fan of visual arts is something that I really appreciate and some unique items like backstage passes and tab books. I mean you could spend all day looking through this stuff and I would have killed to have something like this when I was a kid so I am glad that this exists. So if you want to check out Rockabilia and get some new merch, all you need to do is go to rockabilia.com or hit the link in the show notes of this episode and make sure to use the discount code PRMBA that is like Punk Rock MBA to get 15% off your order and thanks again to Rockabilia for sponsoring this episode. I mean, I think that's one of the good things about YouTube is because of comments and stuff, you're forced to confront, you know, the audience's opinion and you can choose to take it or leave it, but you can't hide from it. You know, it's there and you know exactly where the fuck you stand.
0: Oh, totally. The quality of feedback on YouTube, I would say, is variable. Yeah. But I would say it's all useful, you know, at least like you said, knowing where the audience is coming from and what they heard. Because I mean, I mean that—that's communication. Yes, it's a, it's a two-way street, you know.
1: Yep, and I mean, just something as simple as not even the comments, but even just view counts. I mean, ultimately, that speaks louder than anything, or maybe not anything, but it's—it says a lot, you know.
0: It—it it, it does say a lot. I'll—I'll I'll give you that. I'm—I'm on—I'm on the fence with view counts, depending. Well,
1: it—it it matters.
0: It do, It does matter. It does matter.
1: It matters, and I think this is actually something. This is. I never thought about this before, but I actually think this is part of the reason why a lot of musicians don't like streaming is because you can't hide from like stream counts either, you know, and that's a signal that they may not be like YouTubers. You got to have a thick skin. I mean, that's sort of like, oh, yeah, you're going to wash the fuck out of YouTube (laughs) if you can't handle negative feedback and videos that don't get views that you really love and all that shit. You just have to deal. You have to learn how to be comfortable with that. And I think there's probably a lot of musicians that don't really have that muscle because we do it every time we put out a video. So you've put out hundreds and hundreds of videos. So have I. And you really build up that muscle. And I think a lot of musicians who don't release things as often just kind of haven't gotten callous to that.
0: Oh, absolutely. That that's, uh, I guess another goal of mine is to be brutally honest <laughs> with, with all musicians. I mean, it's not, it's not going to help anyone by kissing anyone's ass. Right. I mean, it might, might help me to get an interview. That, that'd be great, you know, but at the same time, like who have I served by doing that? The person I'm interviewing isn't improving in their craft. The audience is going to continue to be blind to maybe a glaring problem. And I I, just sit here and just collect the money and just allow a, a problem to continue to exist, which I think yeah. is terrible.
1: Works for politicians.
0: Uh, yeah, fuck them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I used to feel the same way, but to be totally blunt. I've just given up on it. And now I mostly just tell people what they want to hear because I feel like, again, I'm saying this is what I feel. I'm not saying this is fact because I, I recognize I may be doing some distorted thinking here. I feel like it's pointless to tell people the truth because they won't listen. So I just say, all right, fuck it. I'll tell you what you want to hear.
0: There's definitely something to that. One, one of the big things that I've noticed with you like with the Creed video and the ICP videos are great examples that you sent me.
1: I really like those. I'm very proud of those videos.
0: Those are excellent. Those are beautiful and changed my mind. Things I didn't realize were going on and didn't know all the history on, or even the Nickelback video, frankly. I, I wouldn't sell yourself that short <laughs> myself. I think you do a good job. Of taking the omelet and folding in a little bit of medicine in there.
1: I've been trying to be better about it recently.
0: Yeah, I think I think you do a very good job with it.
1: I, I stopped selling out as hard.
0: <laughs> I, w- I personally wouldn't call you a sellout, Finn. Yeah, I mean that's that's something I've I've tried here and there with different approaches, and I just think my my brand is locked in as it is. It's just the brutally honest guy that I'm just gonna do. I'm gonna find something that people are gonna click on. I'm gonna be honest about it, you know. That's that's basically where I'm at. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that that loses me certain uh, business opportunities. But I'm fucking,
1: it definitely will.
0: I can... whatever. At yeah. least I slept at night, you know. Fucking, <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I don't, I don't have any issues wondering about my my credibility or my honesty. So, I mean, good good luck to other people who may. <laughs> Either way. No, I do. I do definitely like your approach. It, it's it is helpful. And just being constantly caustic for the sake of being caustic is definitely not helpful.
1: Well, I don't think that's what you do, though.
0: No, 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 it's not. It's not. I mean, I, I when I earlier on. I definitely had more of a focus on it. because I know that's what people were laughing at. Yeah, when I get really mad, you know, and I mean, it's fun, you know, it's definitely fun to watch, watch me lose my shit. But it's also not healthy, to one, for me to focus on that constantly, but two, to make other people focus on that constantly. Yep. You know, it, it's extremely important to bring up the good sides of, of what you're looking at.
1: I guess my question is knowing that honesty generally isn't rewarded, although it may help the audience, but it's it's not. I don't think it is for the most part. I think for the most part, people want you to confirm their existing opinions not you in particular i mean just like in general
0: they they want you to jerk them off yes yeah. exactly i poke fun at them about that all the time
1: right knowing that you know why should you i'm just asking rhetorically but you know this is sort of my internal thought process knowing that why should you give up your own income for the sake of telling people the truth that they don't want to hear why not just tell them what they want to hear get the money and go home
0: so a couple things one, I am privileged enough and blessed enough to have fans. Rich parents? No, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I, had, so I had well-to-do parents, but no, no. You're good. You're good. I had well-to-do parents, so I wouldn't call them rich by any means.
1: Oh, I, I, I didn't know that. I was completely joking.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No issue. But I'm, I'm extremely blessed to have fans who are actually willing to keep me doing what I'm doing. Like through YouTube Ad Rev, this wouldn't work. Um, but I've, I've built enough of um, a dedicated fan base who are both entertained, but also believe in, in the mission to a degree that they, they want to see me succeed. And in my opinion, that's the most wholesome way forward in this entertainment business isn't by plugging ads, which I think is, is um, going to be a, a long term transition period. Um, but actually having people realize culturally, you know what, this is worth my dollar, I know yeah. what my time is worth, I know what my dollar is worth. And this person is worth that to me. That's a massive gap that we have to leap over. If we if we want to have a, a better, um, better media and a, and a better society. But I mean, I don't know. It's at least worth try- trying.
1: Do you have a Patreon, or how how exactly does that happen?
0: We're continuing down the hole of reasons why I'm not making more money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm ju- I, I, um,
1: I'm just curious. You you said you had people that supported you, so I was wondering how specifically that happens.
0: So I have a subscribe star. Okay, subscribe star is is different from Patreon. Right, not as much traffic and. You can't use PayPal on Subscribestar, which uh, anyone interested, go look into why you can't use PayPal on Subscribestar.
1: I hate PayPal as a company. They're a trash company.
0: Oh, OK. I, I don't know nearly enough about them. They're extremely convenient. They're they're basically online visa, right? You know,
1: they hate business. You think so? Yes, I know. So uh, they're 100% if there's like a sl- an RPG slider where you can make trade-offs in favor of the business versus the consumer. They put that slider 100% in favor of the consumer. For example, they will um, randomly decide to hold all your money if you're a merchant. Like for no reason, they might just decide that uh, they don't like your account. And they'll just...
0: Heard about that happening with RIPA.
1: Yeah, it happens. Or they'll de-platform people all the time for all kinds of different reasons. Disputes almost always get resolved in favor of the consumer. I think they're a shitty company and I can't stand PayPal. But a lot of people like using it because it is they put that slider entirely in favor of the consumer.
0: It, it is exceptionally convenient. It's actually scary how convenient it is. Yep. But similar reasons is what you're saying as to why I'm not on Patreon. And that's like at least a thousand dollars a month, at least that I'm missing out on specifically because of my own personal ethics that I, that I'd like to stand on.
1: So if there's a slider between realist and idealist, Ah, uh, you have that slider much more in favor of idealist than I do.
0: Yeah, probably, I and mean, I would argue most people. Um, and I, I'm aware of that. I'm I'm very aware of that. You also have to practically live in the world, <laughs> so we can't can't be all idealist. Which actually uh, brings up a great point. This this um, slider of for me, clout chaser versus artist mm-hmm. that I've been kind of exploring for a few years and very soft touching on certain videos.
1: Explain that concept to people.
0: Okay. What I've witnessed in my time, I guess, in the entertainment industry, especially in in music, because that's where I'm focused, is you have a lot of clout chasing, poisoning the well. Um, It doesn't matter what you put out, what you're selling, what you're doing. Um, as long as you can get maximum fame and maximum money, or at least appear to have maximum money. I think, I think for them, it's a lot more to do with feeling important at the end of the day.
1: Yep. Status.
0: The status. Yeah. The money is a good many. You know, with status comes money eventually. Yep. So I don't know what the percentage is of that, but it's definitely very loud. And you can see it expressed itself, especially on TikTok and Instagram, but also on other social media as well where people are just doing dumb stuff for attention and money or putting out absolute garbage, things we can confirm are garbage for attention and money.
1: Island boys.
0: Yeah. So like um, knowing that that's a problem, I I had to think to myself, okay, well, what's the opposite, you know? And that's, well, art, art for the purity of art, right? The, the, the absolute, like, okay, so, so what's the source of it? Well, the source of it is the artist, and putting so much focus on the artist's whims that you lose sight of everything else. And you're completely disconnected from, from society and reality, which is that idealist versus not even practical or pragmatist, it's even further than, than pragmatism when it comes to clout chasing. So I think it's healthy to have a balance as much as possible. But I would say that our current media ecosystem is way too far on the side of clout chasing. Whether you're talking about, this is less of a thing now after the pandemic, but all of the the shit trap rappers that I don't know what the proper name for them is, but like the guys that have the worst lyrics, shitty beats, and are just about showing off the lifestyle in a music video and constantly just yeah, trying like to Yeah, like clout rappers, yeah. Clout rappers, okay. Whether whether it's that or women online uh, on Instagram showing their their bodies constantly because it gets attention, specifically because it gets attention and then they can make all this money from it.
1: I've tried showing my feet online. Unfortunately, (laughs) it does not get attention. I thought, well, it looks so easy when they do it. I tried. Turns out nobody's interested in my feet. I was very disappointed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even if you look at um, news media... Any way possible for at least five to six years to squeeze the word Trump into a headline. Yep. Any way possible, positive or negative, didn't matter.
1: He's been on CNN's front page almost every goddamn day for like six years straight.
0: Yeah, he's, he's fucking gone. But not not to dive too far into politics. Point is, it's all chasing that clout. And part, part of what we're running into right now is the current systems incentivize certain activities that we all have to play in and the sociopaths are going to exploit that regardless. So unless you just want all the traffic going to just the people willing to be sociopaths, you have to keep up with them. It, there's no, there's no other option. Yep. Th- that's what we have right now. So that, that brings in the practicality side of the, the artist versus clout chaser thing that's as far as i can elaborate it right now because it's still a developing idea but society is definitely far too much on the clout chasing side and it needs to be brought back towards the center with more more grounding and ideals
1: see me personally as an asshole (laughs) i can respect either extreme i respect people like to use music examples someone like you know, Abruptum or some, or that other band, I can never uh, say their name, right. It's uh was it Riverium ib Malict or whatever that like really bizarre sort of uh, black metal band that clearly there's not a, a commercial bone in either of their body. They just play the most basement dwelling inaccessible shit. I love both of them. Or uh, I can respect something that is just like clearly just purely commercial exploitative trash. Like, you know, island boys. I can respect that too. Where where it loses me is in the middle. I'm just like, I want you to commit one or the other. Are you an artist or you just want clout? Uh pick one.
0: Uh, I, I I I can maybe see that perspective.
1: I know it's excessively binary, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm sort of painting with a very broad brush. But um, that's for me personally. I respect commitment seriously. Like, I don't care that much what the direction is. I just respect people who are decisive about whatever it is that they're doing.
0: Well, at the end of the day, I, I definitely place more importance on the ideals because I think the, the ideals are the the motive and also end goal through which we use these clout chasing tools to accomplish is, is the healthy way in which I look at it. Kind of like um, – that the the social versus individualist argument, sure, I fall on more on the individualist side, specifically because the individual is the atoms of which the social side is made up. To me, looking at the root cause and trying to to think about what we we fix first, if we expect everything else to follow suit. But yeah, no, I I, I totally get what you're saying as far as people not having a direction or not really creating an identity for themselves as an artist or as a creator, I I definitely get that for sure.
1: I mean, I think sort of what you're saying could be boiled down in the most simplistic terms to don't hate the player, hate the game. Meaning that, you know, if you want attention for your art, you got to play the game a little bit.
0: Thousand percent. Yeah.
1: And if you don't want your attention for your art, that's fine too. But I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, Anybody that puts their art, whether that's a painting or music or whatever, if you put it out into the world, you want attention for it. So I think step one is to admit that to yourself. Yeah. Because if you didn't want attention for it, you would just keep it on your hard drive or hang it on your own basement where no one's ever going to see it. But you put it out there, you want attention, and there's nothing wrong with that. So to me, that's step number one. And then step number two, I think a lot of people would be happier if they would play the game a little bit more. You know, like how many musicians don't want to make TikToks, but then also piss and moan that nobody's listening to their music It's like, well, if you're not doing the things that enable your music to be discovered, then you can't be mad when your music isn't discovered.
0: Yeah, no, agree. I'm one of those guys who doesn't have a TikTok, still will refuse to, by the way.
1: But as long as you're okay with the consequences, then there's no problem.
0: Yes. Yeah, I I fully, like, first of all, didn't even realize that was the place for discovery music until I saw your video. And then I looked into it. I was like, Oh shit, this really, Oh really yes. is The case really is the case. Dude. I remember getting an email years ago before it ever launched. It was called musically. And mm-hmm. they invited, they invited me to come on. And I, if it wasn't for the fact that they only had access to the shittiest of shitty pop music, <laughs> I would have, I would have done it.
1: Well, back then it literally was 12 year olds doing dances. That's all musically was.
0: Even even before then, it was supposed like the original idea was lip syncing. Yeah, lip syncing. Yeah. yeah, which which I I wouldn't have necessarily um, only lip synced. I probably would have got guitar synced as well and yeah. fucked around with that idea.
1: If only they had necrophagist
0: <laughs> Yeah, how oh, dare <there> they? <laughs> Honestly, probably would have been cheaper for them. But regardless, <laughs> I don't have one. But I fully acknowledge, and I'm not upset about the fact that i'm missing that massive avenue you know like i i, I get it yeah I, totally I, fine I yeah exactly I, and i'm not judging other people for using it either for the record you know that that's i think another large thing is like i i happen to think it's it's not a good option i could be very wrong and i, I i'm making huge sacrifices by not trying to capitalize on it
1: I just think that there's so much frustration among artists of all kinds, music, visual arts, whatever. Frustration is like almost a constant, specifically the frustration that they aren't getting the recognition that they want and feel like they deserve. That's like a constant among almost all creators.
0: It's the, it's the cognitive, the frustration comes from the cognitive dissonance of, I want the end result where people love and appreciate my art. Yes, but they don't conceive that it's more than just the creative process that goes into exactly. that end result. And and that's something I think you've done a great job of bringing to light and and really pushing on people. Is it's a business, like it, it it is art creation, and we should hold that sacred to a certain degree, but. It's a business that that is the apparatus that we exist in. And that's the vehicle you got to use in order to get your shit out there. Plain and simple.
1: I mean, if you're asking people to give you their time or money in exchange for the art you produce, then that's a transaction. Whether you think of it that <laughs> way, it is.
0: It is a thousand. Oh, I'm with you hundred percent. I love it.
1: And, and by the way, just because it's free doesn't mean it's any less transactional, because I would argue that in a lot of ways. Their time is higher value than their money.
0: My man, that is a thousand percent right. Fully agree with that. Hell yeah. that's. Please listen to my album for an hour. That's a big fucking ask. I am such a dick on my live stream about songs that are too long. Yes. Specifically because of respecting people's time. You you are asking, begging people to to literally shave out the most finite and precious resource they have every second counts. And if you don't yep. think it doesn't count, you're an asshole.
1: Yes. <laughs> you're a dick. But the thing I always harp on is intros that are too long.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a, a regret of mine for one of our song, for songs, Pendulum. The, the intro was too long. I skipped through it. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> don't it's bore that. us. Get to the chorus.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, it's still, it's still pretty and it makes a mood. Some people like that, like, atmosphere. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, if I'm skipping through it, that's probably not a good sign.
1: <laughs> I think in most cases, if your intro is say, you know, thirty-two bars, you could probably achieve the same the same effect in four or eight bars. Depending. It depends. But that like this is true in writing as well. It's actually like if you if you I've been writing for a very long time and oh, yeah. seeing like new writers, the challenge that they have is being concise. Yes. And uh, I mean, like writing text, not music, but it but it's true for oh. music too. <laughs> I'm a terrible like musician. But this is the biggest challenge. People will go on for eight pages when they could have said the same thing in four. It's the same in almost all kinds of art. Like restraint and being concise is actually more challenging. Like saying the same things with fewer words is really fucking hard. And I think a lot of times musicians kid themselves and they think that intro needs to be 32 bars when it would have the exact same impact in most, but not all cases in four or eight bars. Yeah, you wouldn't lose anything.
0: Definitely agree. And on the flip side, to pat myself on the back a little bit, I think one of the things that I think we accomplished extremely well with our song Betrayal. We had a journey that mo- I feel like most other bands would take eight or nine minutes to get through, and we did it in six.
1: Yeah, which for your genre, you know, six is not, that's not a long song for your genre. It's like average. <laughs> yeah, this is true of of pop also. like If you listen to 2000s pop, my wife pointed this out, like the last minute or two of so many pop songs from back then is just the chorus looped for like a minute and a half. I hate it. It's awful.
0: I don't know why they like the only thing I could possibly think of is they were doing it for DJs. But I'm like, this is seven.
1: That's right. Th- but
0: do you need a minute and a half? You got a bad DJ, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, just the arrangements back then were so basic compared to now. And maybe that's because they were doing a lot of this stuff on samplers or something where it was just more difficult to do the kind of like, you know, detailed automation and like arrangement stuff. That, I don't know. But um,
0: I didn't I didn't even think about the the sampler. Yeah, that actually makes sense.
1: Yeah, because they're doing a lot of stuff like an MPC 2000 instead of an Ableton or whatever. Uh, maybe it's that. I don't know. But these it's a lot of these songs. If you listen to them, you'll remember the chorus. But a lot of these songs you haven't listened to in 15 or 20 years. Listen to them now and you'll be shocked at how like basic and shitty the arrangements were basically until like 2008 or so. <laughs> Like, go listen to a Sierra song from, like, 2003, and it's shocking.
0: Okay, you're talking more in that regard. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, um, oppositely, going back to a lot of the um, the 90s pop rock, the stuff that was, like, kicking off.
1: Like, Third Eye Blind or something?
0: Third Eye Blind or Counting Crows. Like, I'm actually very surprised going back and listening with a more detailed ear. Like, oh, this... This production's really good. They took a lot of.
1: Well, yeah, because they spent two million dollars on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, they spent two million dollars on it.
1: So the band never recouped.
0: <laughs> There's that. But even just like the arrangements are like pretty spicy. All things considered.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say in a lot of ways, like the late '90s, early 2000s, like analog era is probably the peak of like rock production.
0: I, I would tend to agree. Like the 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 more we get into it, the more it becomes hyper compressed and more close to like electronic stuff. Yeah. Which can be cool. But I mean, yeah, it, it felt most, in my opinion, most natural in the nineties. And there's a whole lot of old heads who still, you know, only listen to shit on their turntables. Right. Who are like p- pissed off about how compressed everything sounds. Right.
1: I think that whole thing is stupid because I think a lot of those people, very few of those people actually understand like, what compression is or how it works and what kinds are desirable. Yes. And I, I feel like it's one of those things that people just say to sound smart. It's too compressed. The same. as like when people <laughs> say auto tune, I'm like, Oh, so you like Melodyne and they don't even know what Melodyne is. They, like they don't, it's just one of these things people say as a, as a signal of, I have good taste, you know? Well, yes. the reason why you think vinyl sounds good is specifically because of the compression.
0: Yes. So that's actually, that's an interesting point And partly where, people who grew up with older analog formats, I can see some of where they're coming from.
1: Analog compression sounds great.
0: Yes. And recording it with specifically vinyl as the end product in mind makes a massive difference versus I'm listening to it with my earbuds off of my phone. Sure. You're going to want to produce those things differently.
1: Although what a lot of people may not know is that because vinyl is limited by the actual like physical that like the by the the physics of the grooves on a record. Yes. Vinyl physically can't reproduce a lot of modern mixes because the grooves won't hold it. The needle yes. will fall out of the grooves so they have to remaster it for vinyl in a way that doesn't sound in my opinion oftentimes doesn't sound good because for a lot of modern
0: music. I I got a fully agree. Um I got my my friend who's like almost 70 now into metal when he was like in his mid sixties, he had never liked metal before and he finally got turned on to it. I loved it, but I got him uh, the juggernaut dual vinyl because he loves listening to shit on vinyl. It sounded bad. Yeah. (laughs) No no offense to periphery. It did not sound good at all. It sounded much better on CD.
1: Well, they didn't write that music with vinyl in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They didn't produce it with vinyl in mind.
1: Eight string guitars present inherent challenges for vinyl because like producing low wind like low end on vinyl is the challenge
0: oh yeah oh absolutely but okay yeah so we 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 we, i think we agree upon on that point at at very least
1: i think so well uh it is probably time for me to let you go on that note as much as we could uh, probably go on and fight forever uh unfortunately (laughs) it sounds like we agree on most things so uh, i will let you go make sure you check out uh become the knight on uh, youtube and everywhere else and i appreciate your time and i will talk to you soon appreciate you finn thank you all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you if you want to help the show there's a couple things that you can do first of all share it on social media if you share it tag us tag finn mckenty that's me and tag deanna chapman that's a producer